you got your Bibles, I'd invite you to get those out. Uh, you probably want them. If you don't have one with you, you can uh, talk to Brian over here. He has some there, and he will gladly get you one. There's uh, several things we're going to be looking at, of course, in the Bible this morning. We're going to be uh, in Revelation, the book of Revelation again. Revelation chapter 9 in my Bible. It's on page uh, 1033. It's the last book in the Bible, and uh, we are, you know, getting close, getting close, not quite there yet, to halfway through uh, here. We're in uh, Revelation uh, 9 and uh, moving, well, I don't know if we're moving quickly, but we're at least moving through Revelation on Sundays. Where we are in the story, I always like to remind us what's happening here just a little bit. Um, Jesus is uh, showing John his apostle. Uh, Jesus has come back after John, uh, about 50 years, 60 years after he has gone to heaven, he's returned. He's visiting his one remaining apostle who is imprisoned on the island of uh, Patmos. Just an, an interesting, John's going to be uh, like freed from here. He doesn't die on Patmos. He goes and he actually um, gets a couple of disciples. And one of them is a disciple, a church father named Polycarp. And we have uh, like a ton of writing by that guy. That guy was actually taught by John himself. And uh, several of the church fathers come out of John's own personal efforts in discipleship when he is a very old man, um, having escaped a death sentence and an exile sentence. Anyway, God's never, God's never done with us, right? When, no matter how, it, how over it looks, he's never done. Anyway, Jesus has returned, and he really w- he's going to answer the question that his disciples wanted to know when he was going back. What about the kingdom? What's going to happen next? How's this all going to wrap up? He's going to come. J- Jesus is coming to show John the answer to Daniel's prayers in the Old Testament and the answer to the prophets' predictions in the Old Testament. But really, it's really focusing on the final seven years of this age as God prepares the earth for the return of His Son and. Jesus is showing John what's happening during this time, what's known in the Bible as Daniel's 70th week, which is the Daniel's prophecy that there's going to be seven years at the end of the age to transfer uh, to the next one. See, I, d- I just wanted to emphasize this again to make sure today. A lot of people in the church today don't believe that this book of Revelation that we are studying today is about things that are going to take place at the end of the age. That some people, a large portion of the church in the Western world at least, believes that what's written here in the book of Revelation is largely allegory or symbolism. It's a, that what's written here is kind of a fable, or the bi- biblical word for that is it's a parable. Right? It's a fictional story that illust- illustrates truth. These aren't actual real things and real people and real events in real time. They're just, they're just a parable of something. They're, they're a fable to teach us some greater truth. That what's described in here are not literal events that happened in the literal places to literal people. Okay? There's a lot of people that go to church today that think that that's what's going on in Revelation. I just want to tell you, I don't think that that's true. Okay? I think Jesus takes care to address that very issue in what he tells John in this book. In Revelation 1.1, if you look at Revelation chapter 1, what's the very first thing that Jesus says? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must take place seems fairly straightforward things that must soon take place it says 
John is instructed to write some stuff down. Just look down a little farther in chapter 1, Revelation 1.19. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. Even Revelation 4, at the be- after the letters to the churches, at the beginning of really the Revelation, for once, Jesus says to John, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And this is all reconfirmed in the ending comments of this book by Jesus. In Revelation 22, 6, at the end of the book, he says, And he said to me, and Jesus said to me, John says, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. All of that is followed by a pretty stern warning. In, a chap- in chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. All I have to say, I just don't think that Jesus intended to leave it up to us to decide whether what he shows John is to be understood as a parable or actual events. I think the warning is clear and the instructions are clear. This isn't new either, right? God God is very concerned, has always been very concerned, that mankind understands that his word is always true. Proverbs 30 says, every word of God proves true. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Isaiah 48 says, um, the word of our God will stand forever. Psalm 18.30 says, God, his way is perfect, and the word of the Lord proves true. Psalm 119 says, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Jesus said the same things when he was on earth in Matthew 5, right at the beginning of his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Don't think I've come to abolish anything that's been said before is what he's saying. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. He says later, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Anyway, I just want to make sure we're all clear on this, okay, here? Revelation is just like every other book in the Bible. God wrote it, he expects us to read it, and he expects us to understand it. So, all that to say, um, let's get started on understanding what God has said is going to happen on this earth. No matter as fantastical as it may sound to us, He has declared and told us what is to be at the end of the age as he prepares the earth for the arrival of his son. So um, what happened so far in the story as we read in Revelation? Here's a question. Revelation chapter 8, we're going to be in here. We're going to be getting into the trumpets. Where are we in Daniel's seven years? In in, In the last seven years, how much time has gone by by the time we get to the trumpet section of Revelation. Okay, so we know that seal one, the first seal opened by the scroll, or by Jesus, of the seven-sealed scroll, 
Seal 1 is the beginning of the seven years. It's the revelation of the promised opposer of God, to stand against God and his people at the end of the age. It's the, we're going to see this later today. He's the end times Pharaoh that Moses and the people of Israel faced in the beginning. His arrival on the scene starts off the seven years. The Antichrist is revealed and war and famine and disease begin to dominate the earth. So much so that a quarter of the inhabitants of the earth are killed during this time. Revelation 6, 8 says, And they, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the Antichrist, and war and famine and disease, were given authority over the fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and wild beasts of the earth. That really is the setup for the seven years. That's the first four seals. The fifth seal is opened, and we see that the martyrdom that is happening during all of this time. Verse 9 says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. And they ask, How long, how long until you avenge our blood in the earth? And they're told, "Uh, Not yet, not yet. There's still more to die here. That brings us to the sixth seal, the the cosmic signs, the sun and the moon going dark and and the stars falling in the sky and the great earthquake that's going to happen. That's the sixth seal. Then Jesus shows John a couple of other things. The the sealing of the 144,000 Jewish people from every tribe of Israel. That's the, and how that fits with the first fruits idea of the Old Testament. God marked them off for perseverance and for harvest and to survive what's coming next. Then we see the perseverance of the followers of Christ as they live out Paul's words in Romans 8, right? We, have, we love uh, Romans 8, one of our favorite verses, right? Um, for all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. But it goes on from there. And it says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is, being, that is to be revealed to us. And he says this, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And John is seeing Revelation 8 come true right in front of his eyes in this vision. John's seeing what this is going to look like. A great multitude from all over the earth giving up their lives. A great multitude of conquerors is what he sees. John writes about them again in Revelation 12, and he says this, They have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and by not loving their lives even unto death. That's how they conquered. And then we see, we're getting closer to where we are now, we see in Revelation chapter 8, seven angels are given trumpets, and then we see that heaven goes silent. And we remember, if you were here before, this is God, this is a common practice in Israel every day. The prayers are offered and everybody is silent while God listens to the prayers of his people. That's what's happening there. The prayers of of God's people are heard by him in silence. And then the angel comes and he scoops the coals off the altar, the coals that purify the prayers of the saints, and he scoops them up and he throws them onto the earth God is like, God's God's hearing the cries of his people and he's going to answer. He's like, okay, it's time. Let's get this show on the road. Let's get this started. It's time for the purification of the earth. It's time to prepare all of this for my son. Revelation chapter 8, 6 says, The seven angels with seven trumpets 
prepared to blow them. When the seven trumpets are sounded, we are well into the program, okay? Um, We are well past the midpoint of Daniel's seven years by this time in the book of Revelation. What John wrote here in Revelation is a lot of information for sure about the time of the end, right? Revelation's full of stuff. But he didn't write everything that's going to happen. Other people wrote other things that John doesn't reference here. And Jesus did not show John everything that he had already revealed to all the prophets that went before. And one of the subjects that John doesn't write about here, but Daniel and other Old Testament prophets do, are the military and political contests and conquests that are to happen during the end times. Another thing that John really doesn't write about in Revelation, but that's a big subject for Jesus and especially for Daniel, is the conquering of Jerusalem itself and the desecration of the temple that happens during this time. John doesn't really address that in Revelation. And when we get to the point in this story here, where the the point where the trumpets are about to be sounded, those things have already happened. Okay, the, Jerusalem has been conquered. The sacrifice, the sacrificial system that was started so recently has been stopped, and the temple has been desecrated. And God has already shaken the earth and showed His cosmic signs in the sky. And the time is getting short, and it's time for the final preparations of the earth. Last week, if you were here, um, I mentioned that one of the ways to help us understand what is happening in Revelation and why is to understand that a large part of what John writes is a new version or a, a new Old Testament story. The book of Revelation is a second Exodus story. Okay? And just like in the beginning, in Exodus, God, has, God brought his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. In the end, there's going to be another Exodus, and God is going to bring his people out of the kingdoms of this world and into his eternal kingdom. Just like God freed his people from their great oppressor, Pharaoh, with great acts of judgment, in the end, God is again going to free his people from the last great oppressor with great acts of judgment. Exodus 6.6 6 said, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. goes on to tell Moses, You and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land, but I will harden Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's, hearts, Pharaoh's heart. And, oh, sorry. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Well, when we read Revelation, we see this very same story playing out again at the end. God's people are being slaughtered, and God's people are being oppressed all over the earth, and God is going to put a stop to it soon. But first, just like he did in Egypt, he is going to give a series of warnings and demonstrations of his power. These are still the warnings here that we're reading about. These these trumpet things, and the trumpet blasts, and the things that happen, these are still the warnings to a people that are oppressing and killing 
God's chosen ones. Judge the real judgments are still to come. These trumpet blasts are still God getting everyone's attention on the earth. God pointing to, to the truth about what is happening and who is causing it all and why. That's what's going on here. Let me just uh, read this. Revelation chapter 8, we see this. Now the seven angels um, who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown on the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees was burned up, and all the grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a th- a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might, not, might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Brings us to verse 13, where we find, Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Uh, I don't know if this John's at getting here, like he flew directly overhead on the earth, or he's like, he flew over me. I don't, we, nobody really knows what he's saying, but the message is very clear, and it's least being rung out in heaven. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Okay, so there's the four trumpets have been uh, sounded, and there's a warning of like, that you ain't seen nothing yet. Like, this is just getting started. Wait till you see the next three is the idea. It's kind of like God saying, you think, you think that was tough? You think the first four were tough? Uh, wait till you see what I'm going to do next. There are three more trumpets still to come, and things are going to get much, much more difficult on the earth. Okay. That brings us to some of the most mysterious parts, not just of Revelation, but of the entire Bible here, okay? P- people think Revelation is confusing, and sometimes it is. I'm telling you, these two descriptions here that we're going to read today, they are the most unknown things that there are, I think, in the Bible. So see, at least when it comes to Bible prophecy. There's some weird descriptions of things here, okay? Things that look like locusts to John, okay? Remember, he doesn't say they are locusts. He says they looks like locusts, and he describes them. The things that look like horses and riders as well. So what I'd like to do is like, just take care of these descriptions first, okay? So we can all not be distracted by these things. First one is this, about the locusts. It's uh, chapter 9, verse 7. It says this, In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like human hair, like, sorry, like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. Let's go down, and we can see um, in verse 17. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire, sapphire, and sulfur, um, sapphire or hyacinth is a bluish purple. 
Sulfur is yellow, so uh, they wore breastplates of red, bluish, purple, and yellow. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. Just skip down to verse 19. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. So would it surprise you if I told you today, um, I know exactly what those things are? Well, it should surprise you, um, because nobody knows. Nobody knows what that is. Um, There's lots of theories, but nobody's sure exactly what's going on here. These aren't normal things that we have seen up until now. So that being said, okay, so these locusts are weird things. Let's not get so bent out of shape on what they exactly look like. I'd love to hear your theories on all of that. I was talking to my small group guys there the other day, and we were kind of batting around a couple of ideas of what we think these things might be or what they might represent or what's happening there. Um, But let's just forget about the weirdness of the actual creatures that are being described, and let's just read what God says is going to happen, okay? In verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Okay, a couple of things here. I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. It doesn't, uh, fallen can just mean came down, right? It doesn't, it doesn't have a negative sinful connotation or anything. It just, he's coming down. Star is an angel. Another way to say uh, an Elohim, a spiritual being, comes down from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Okay. The the bottomless pit is also known as uh, the abyss in Bible. It's called a couple of things in the Old Testament, called a couple of things in the New Testament. Okay, we're going to have to be okay with this. Um, I don't have a lot of time to get into it today, but the abyss basically is the prison of the angelic realm, okay? The, The abyss is where the Elohim who crossed the line go to be kept in a confined area. Okay, so there is a real Elohim world. There's a real spiritual world. Millions of angels, we sometimes call them. Um, that's a bit simplistic, but um, they're spiritual beings in this world. And God is in charge of them too. And he has a place to send them when they need to be sent somewhere. That's what this is. It's the bottomless pit. It's the abyss. It's the prison of the Elohim. Now, this guy, this, this other Elohim that comes down from heaven is given a key Now, I don't know if it looks like my keys or what, or if maybe it's a key fob, I don't know. But somehow, he's given the authority to open the prison door and let the inmates out, okay? He doesn't have this authority. He can't do it himself. He's given this authority, this instruction by God. He's going to come, he's going to go, however the right way to say that is, and put that key in that door, and that door is going to be opened, and the spiritual realm that God has put in the prison is going to be allowed out at the end of the age. I don't want to get much more into it. There's a whole, lots of things we could talk about there, but I want to get through these trumpets today. We'll, we'll come back to that another time because it comes up again. Anyway, this angel does what he's told to do. Verse 2, he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. So it's big, like a ton of smoke comes out, okay? And from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the scorpions of the earth. Okay, those are the weird things that 
we just read the description of, the, those things come out of the abyss as well. <clears throat> they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Okay, so this is kind of like really weird. Locusts, what do locusts eat normally? Like grass and trees and plants and stuff. And apparently this one though, yeah, you're not, none of that, don't eat that stuff. Don't touch that stuff. That's not your purpose. Here's what your purpose is, right? Sting the people on the earth who don't have the seal of God on their foreheads. Okay, we already saw back in Revelation chapter 7, Jesus has sealed some, and it says, for their protection from these things. From before you do all of this, before you blow the trumpet, seal my servants. I am going to preserve them through all of this. And here we see the instructions given even to these demonic beings, we would call them. Don't harm the people with the seal of God in their foreheads. It says in verse 5, They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will, free, will flee from them. Skip down to verse 11. They have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still to come. Okay, I know that that's uh, a, a, a little bit weird. I know that's not the, the not usual new, not a new usual news story for like uh, Czech news uh, here in Victoria, right? It's going to be kind of spectacular, but it is what it is, and it says that at at the end, the abyss is going to be opened. And the prisoners are going to come out, and it's not going to be fun for the people of the earth. There's going to be great amounts of torment. Well, that's not over yet. There's still another two trumpets, and in verse 13, we see the sixth angel blow his trumpet. Then a sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Okay, the river Euphrates is what God has declared to be the eastern slash northern boundary of his chosen promised land. And apparently that has a pretty big significance into this prophecy here because there's uh, apparently four angels. The, the idea is that they've been bound there for a long time, right? They're, they're rebellious angels not in the abyss, but held where they are for their purpose. We'll see that in, in a minute. But notice again, this isn't some kind of rebellion where the forces of darkness are rising up. and like God's giving the okay. God's giving the instructions. He's giving the permission. It's time for this to happen now. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year year were released to kill a third of mankind and the number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000 and it's not like John sat there and counted them or guessed right it says I heard their number somebody told them how many there were verse 18 says by these three plagues a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths I don't, I don't know any fire, smoke, sulfur-breathing things that look like horses, okay? I, I don't know what these are. I don't know if they're 
mechanical, if they're biological, or if they're spiritual or a combination of all. Like, no, nobody knows. We're probably not going to know until it gets a lot closer to this time. But it says a third of mankind is going to be killed by them. Like I said, these are just the warnings that God is bringing on this earth. And look at the warnings. Look where God's destruction starts to land when the first four trumpets. The earth, the trees, the grass, the sea, the springs of water, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Our God is a God of warnings, right? Our God is a God of second chances, of more chances. Flip over to chapter 14 when we are right at the very end and we see and hear the final warnings that God is going to give to all the people of the earth. The three angelic proclamations right before the end. What is the first announcement given? Revelation 14, 6 and 7 says this, Then I saw an angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made, have, who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. The very first things that the first four trumpets strike in destruction, the sea, the earth, the grass, the springs of water. And here we see, stop worshiping those things. Worship the God who made them. That's the point. This is a question of worship. It always is. It always has been. Just like the plagues that God sent on Egypt in the first place. The, the Egyptians worshipped the Nile. And God's like, okay, how do you like it now that it's blood? You still worship your water God? The Egyptians, you worship the frogs that populate your river. Let me fill your land with them then. Worship them then. God is pointing out the futility of their idolatry. right? Pharaoh and his gods are totally in my power, is what God showed Egypt. And God is going to do the same thing at the end of the age. He's going to show his superiority over every other object of worship. God's going to give the inhabitants of the earth a demonstration of his total superiority overall. God's going to call all the earth to turn to him, to turn from their worship of created things and worship the creator of all. That's what he's doing. And we can actually read the response of the people to these warnings in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 9. I hope it's good news. No, sorry. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk. They did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. An overall underwhelming lack of repentance is what the result of these warnings are. And these are just the warning shots. And we'll see when we get to the actual wrath of God coming on the earth, it doesn't even get much better. The destruction that is going to come full force at the end, that mankind just will not repent. It says it 
three times in chapter 16 when the final judgments of God are raining down that, that mankind, far from turning en masse to God in repentance, turn en masse to God and begin to curse him. They still want nothing of him, nothing to do with him. We're going to sing again in a sec here, but look, I know some stuff, some of this stuff is, is not just difficult to understand, but it can also be difficult not to be afraid of, okay? Just let me remind you, there is nothing for the followers of Jesus Christ to fear anymore. Will the people of God face very difficult times in the end? Well, of course. Right? But that's not anything new. We've always faced difficult times. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But fear not, I have overcome the world. That's his message. This world has nothing left to threaten you with anymore. And the greatest threat even, the greatest threat that this world will ever know, the judgment of a holy God on a sinful creation that stands cursing him in rebellion. We don't have to be afraid of that either. The king of the world is coming, and he is coming to crush his enemies. He is coming to tread the fury of the winepress of the wrath of God. And if this is the first time you meet him, okay, there's going to be big trouble for you. But our God is a savior, and he's been here before, right? And in his first coming, he made a way to escape his second coming. He came the first time to save us from the time he comes again. The first time he came, he came to stand in our place under the very wrath that he is bringing the next time. Just to receive what we all should receive. Judgment and wrath for our sin. Our king was executed instead of us. Our king, in his death, endured the wrath of God that we deserve. All of our sinfulness laid on him and punished by a holy and infinite God. And he went where all of us are destined to go. The grave. The wages of sin is death. And we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all heading in that direction. But unlike us, he does not deserve to stay there. And he threw off the chains of death and walked alive out of that grave. And he will lead all who worship him out of that grave too. Our great Savior, in his first coming, turned what would be the end of everything for all of us, death. He turned it into the beginning, into the dawn of eternal life. And one day, this world of death and darkness will be filled with life and light and joy because our Savior is going to come back and he's going to make it that way. This is why the Son of God was slain to accomplish this. God sacrificed his Son to make this happen. What are the chances that he's not coming back to finish the job exactly like he said he would? 
This is why the question of the ages, the question that is posed clearly to all at the end of the age, God is going to say to the whole world, this is a worship question. It always is, who will you worship? God is going to say to the whole world at the end of the age, and he's going to show to the whole world at the end of the age, this is my great son. What, how could anyone ever worship anyone else or anything else when the end of the story is our adoption into the family of God? That the, that the end is we stand forgiven and loved forever by the power of the cross of our King. What else could anyone do? What else could we do but lift our voices in worship to the one who's done it all and coming back to finish the job 